0: This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery,
1: the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. Hello, I'm Cal Steiger, your host for another edition of Discovery. This week, we pick up on a couple of series we've sampled before. One is the Deep Dive series by Coldwater Communications, a West Coast PR company. And the other is from Imperial Distributors Canada, a pharmacy. Although unrelated in their terms of services, Both are grappling with issues of ethics and the perception of being ethical. The day-to-day business of being ethical and how this lends itself to building trust is today's theme. And trust, as we've learned, is the cornerstone of building a loyal customer base. Nowhere is trust more tenuous than in the industry long suspected of manipulating opinions and shaping agendas through the power of their words, public relations. In this latest edition of Deep Dive, we hear how ethics and morality play a role in public relations and the high-value PR places on these. But first, we check in with Imperial Distributors Canada and Pharmacast with Pindy. In this week's submission, Pindy explores the evolving role of a community pharmacy and the opportunities and responsibilities that come with the changes. Give a listen to Pharmacast. Success in pharmacy, as in any other profession, is achieved by diligence, persistence, and strict regard for professional ethics.
2: Hi everyone! Really glad you're joining me again for another episode of Pharmacast with Pindi. Your prescription for the latest info in pharmacy. On this series, we'll be tackling the evolving role of community pharmacists and the opportunity that comes with that evolution. I'm Pindi Janda, a pharmacist, an advocate, and the Director of Procurement at Imperial Distributors Canada. And I'll be your host.
3: Call upon sources deep within you as you offer health and wellness and care to bring about healing in other people's lives.
2: Every year, over 2,200 people graduate with an entry to practice pharmacy across Canada, eager to make their mark on healthcare. Today's episode, we'll be looking at the changing face of pharmacists. How will this new emerging class impact how we interact with our local communities and run our businesses? And what do they bring to the table? Most importantly, how can we leverage this all to meet the impending challenge of Amazon's expansion? Believe me, it's coming. Now they are launching a full online pharmacy. And I have the perfect person to offer up insight into this topic, Dr. Jane Shaw. If you want your business
3: to be sustainable in the future, you got to be proactive.
2: Dr. Shaw has practiced in various areas of pharmacy, including community, hospital, regulatory, and industry. She also helped launch the Hepatitis C screening program at London Drugs. But it's her current position as an instructor at the UBC Faculty of Pharmaceutical Sciences that gives her a particular front row seat on this topic. For those of you who are wondering, how did Jane and Pindy even know each other? We became very fast friends back at London Drugs. We have so many things in common, still do. But I think the theme that's actually connected us is just how passionate we are about community pharmacists and what we can do. So I was hoping to explore that with you today. Awesome. Thanks for having me here. Jane is a lecturer at the Faculty of Pharmacy, and she's working with the new generation of community pharmacists. But we're connected to, you know, our old crew as well, right, Jane? hundred percent. It's been a couple years now with entry to practice PharmDs in community pharmacy. How do you think things are going to play out? And then your thoughts on how they can
3: collaborate with veteran pharmacists out in the community? The new generation of pharmacy students actually learn a ton of information, not taught to us back in the days. Okay. They know how to read lab information. So it's nice that they now have CareConnect because then they can really utilize their skill sets that they've learned. That said, I think they have a ton of things to learn from the veteran pharmacists out there. They've seen it all. So they've had patient interactions, they've had a lot of years of experience with communicating with patients, being able to get their information, building trust, and all of that soft skills, as well as knowing what are the most common drug disease interactions that they see in the community. Now, the students, on the other hand, they get all this information academically. Right. I feel like the students don't know that they have these skill sets because they haven't really utilized it in practice. So definitely I think there is a mentorship, mentee type of relationship when they go out there on their experiential education.
1: Although the corner drugstore is often an all service institution, its most important function is to serve as the health center of the community
2: you and i remember those veteran pharmacists that taught us yes when we were new grads and that fear you know that first dispensing shift you have and you're so scared i still
3: remember it me too i remember the first shift that i had my friend and i went into this pharmacy it was so busy so busy. The first prescription I had to do, the patients asked me to advance Tylenol 3s. Of course. Of course. (laughs) I was like sweating beads Yeah. because you're just like, oh my God, why? This first one, I thought it was going to be, you know, similar to my OE practice and all that. I think at the end of the day, you know, life and experience really helped me sharpen my sword, so to speak. But then now I see all these students, Learning all these things I wish I learned back in the days. And of course, things are changing all the time. You bring up a really good point. They're learning so many different things than we did.
2: I think that's what's exciting to see how this will play out in the next couple of years. Yeah. Is what it's going to look like. With $470 billion U.S. in net sales last year, it's no understatement to say that the e-commerce giant Amazon has shaped the way that we consume and do business. Amazon's entry into the pharma space began with its acquisition of the online pharmacy pill pack back in 2018 and since then it has changed the face of pharmacy in America. Now Amazon pharmacy has laid its sights on Canada and the expansion of its service is imminent here. Traditional pharmacy will need to adapt to succeed so how do we prepare? So for our listeners I wanted to share that Jane had actually composed a presentation and presented it to many pharmacists. And you wrote an article for Canadian Health Network as well that is available. And the topic was the Amazon threat. It's coming. Mm -hmm. It would be great if you could share some thoughts on
3: that. I felt compelled to write it because I see it in the States. It's coming. Locations are getting closed and they are big box chain stores with lots and lots of money, and they're closing some of their shops. I think it's important for us as Canadian pharmacies to realize that it's inevitable. It's a habit that patients are starting to really embrace, which is online shopping. And in addition to that, they want their prescription delivered, especially ones where they're more stable ones. They don't want to come in anymore. They've had that relationship. They want fast delivery of their medications. Let's face it, they know more about their disease states and medications than a lot of the healthcare providers. Pharmacists should be more in tune with what's coming next. It's time to innovate instead of having Amazon threat coming and really facing the inevitable and be shocked or be like oh my god do i need to close my store do i need to tell my staff do i need to cut staff and those are the things that you can avoid if you start things right now
1: first amazon came for the drugstore chain's front of store now it's taking direct aim at the back of the store at their pharmacies
2: We we were talking about the new grads have this whole clinical knowledge and you have our veteran pharmacists who have all this experience and bringing them together and then joining to fight that threat. Because we know that there's such value in patients talking to real pharmacists in real time, in person. I really do encourage all of you to check out Jane's article that was on the network as well and to really embrace it because you know Jane that was what we were really honing in is don't wait it's coming and there's stuff you can do and there's resources out there
3: and all these new grads they're learned to do medication reviews they're doing all of these things where you can build your business and really utilize their knowledge as well you don't want to hire all these new grads and tell them to do dispensing I think it's important to know what are these new guys good at? How do I collaborate with our existing staff? And also where you want to be in the future, knowing that this threat is coming. We're not talking a chain pharmacy. You're really looking at revolutionary kind of change to the way your patients shop and the way your patients fill their prescriptions and their medication needs. So really think it through long term ride the wave of pharmaceutical care instead of being buried
0: or swallowed by it. I think pharmacists are just excited for the opportunity to use more of our education and be able to help our patients besides just here's your prescription, here's how to take it.
2: Thank you, Jane. You know, it's always fun and you and I were very PC. We didn't drop any profanity because, you know, for those of you listening who know us really well, we know that that can happen. I really appreciate you taking time from the day and you're at UBC right now, lecturings. Yeah. Say hi to those students for me. Will do. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed listening to today's episode of the Pharmacast with Pindy. I like to end each episode with a pearl of wisdom, something I like to call Pindy's practice pearl. So today's pearl is collaboration. I encourage you all to work together veteran pharmacists and these new graduates coming out with their entry to practice PharmDs. I think it's a tremendous opportunity for us all to gel together as professionals and know that there's such a depth of knowledge that comes from experience and the depth of knowledge that these new graduates now have because of the different path that they have taken in community pharmacy. Pharmacast with Pindy is produced by Everything Podcasts. Subscribe anywhere you discover your favorite podcast. Thank you.
1: Now we move on to the weightier subjects of ethics. Tamara Stanners tackles this murky subject with an unlikely source, someone from the PR industry. Cal McAlpine is a principal at Earncliffe Strategies and president of the Canadian Public Relations Society. He believes ethics are central to good PR. Here is an ethical dilemma. Navigating a
4: public image can be challenging, whether you're building a brand, rebuilding your reputation, or just trying to get on the radar. You need the public to trust you. But does the public trust anyone anymore? And has it ever trusted public relations? Welcome to Deep Dive, powered by Coldwater Communications. I'm your host, Tamara Stanners. On this episode, we wade into the murky waters of ethics, a topic as vast and as difficult to navigate as the oceans themselves.
0: What are my principles? What are my values? What do I stand for?
4: We all have ethical decisions to make every single day,
3: it's our job as parents to teach our kids to do the right
0: thing. You shouldn't use people to get what you want. So we tell a friend a painful truth as opposed to engaging in deceit or decide to intervene to help someone in need. These decisions and actions form a part of
4: who we are. We're all born with the innate capacity for courage. It's a choice. But not all of us work in an industry that is constantly questioned about its ethics. Such as the life of public relations professionals who often find themselves trying to determine how they can balance serving their clients with the public interest. Cam McAlpine, principal at Cliff Strategies, is also the president of the Canadian Public Relations Society, which among its many responsibilities, seeks to guide Canadian PR professionals when ethical dilemmas arise. Thank you so much for being here, Cam. Let's dive in. How do you view ethics as they relate to public relations?
0: Well, it's probably gonna come as no surprise that I view ethics as central to public relations. The irony, I guess, is that public relations is not a regulated profession. And therefore, in my opinion, it's more important to have a code of ethics in public relations than ever to ensure that we have an ethical framework around which we work. Public relations is really all about reputation. And the only way to, to build and preserve the reputation of the profession is through ethical practice.
4: What kinds of ethical dilemmas do PR professionals run into?
0: Honestly, in my experience, I'll say that ethical dilemmas aren't as common as one might think. In, in my experience my personal and professional experience uh, but certainly there are there are things that come up on a on a regular day-to-day basis you know not crisis type dilemmas but certainly questions about what's right and wrong from a professional perspective so some common things you might see are a request or an encouragement to lie or to dissemble uh, to bend the facts for instance public relations practitioners, Maybe doing a little bit of overpromising and under delivering an example might be uh, i go to a client and say i can get you placed in the globe and mail in the first five pages or something that's a promise that i shouldn't and couldn't make because obviously we're working in a, in a world of earned media as opposed to paid that's an example of something that uh, a practitioner might do that's hoarding on, on the unethical. And then the probably the most common example or the most well-known example is uh, what's called astroturfing. For those who aren't familiar with the term, think about grassroots. So a grassroots movement to do X, a citizen's coalition to uh, get a local government to start doing something or stop doing something. That's what's called grassroots. In other words, citizens, people, voters, residents. It's a groundswell of support, a movement to advocate for something. AstroTurfing is the opposite of that. It's the uh, non-organic, non-natural form of that. And essentially what it is, is an organization or an individual uh, or a coalition artificially established to, say, run a campaign without disclosing the interest behind the, the campaign or the project, for instance. There's lots of examples out there in the PR world, but uh, you know that would be an example of bad ethical practice. And there are still, unfortunately, organizations, companies, people out there who think that that's okay to go out there and create a campaign and make it look like it's a grassroots campaign when it's not.
4: As a leader in your field, what advice do you give when someone who's struggling with an ethical question comes to you for guidance? Is there a special process that you recommend?
0: Well, no, and and the fact that someone would come to me and ask for guidance is probably the best first step anyone can take. None of us are alone. I have colleagues all across the country who I've met through work and through CPRS who I can call on when I need to. Because we all face dilemmas on a regular basis, and it's important that you have someone to talk to. I think from a formal framework, CPRS, Canadian Public Relations Society, and other member associations like ours, uh, PRSA in the States, uh, CIPR in the UK, New Zealand, Australia, they all have similar organizations. We all have uh, codes of conduct, codes of professional standards. So at CPRS, we have a code of professional standards. AKA an ethical code, which provides guidance in some of these questions that you'll face. The next step down from that, we have what we call an ethical decision-making tree. So it's a tool that we provide to our members that basically walks you through the questions, is it legal? If it's legal, then what are some of the ethical questions you have around that? So it'll walk you through that process. And in a lot of cases, by doing that process of just Asking and answering those questions, you can decide if the situation you're facing, if you can manage it ethically or not, and if you need to say no. And then the third step down would be to, again, reach out to individuals, colleagues, friends, and and experts.
4: There always seems to be a way to rationalize taking on a job that requires some compromising on one's ethics. And as we all know, ethics are super personal. So how can someone in PR effectively gauge if the work they're doing is ethical?
0: Well, as I say, there are frameworks that you can refer to and and judge on the basis of those frameworks. So the Code of Professional Standards, the Decision-Making Tree, you know, typically that's where I would start if if I have any sort of, uh, you know, that queasy feeling you get in your stomach when you know, I, I think something may be a little bit off here. I'm going to go and and start the process of just asking myself those questions and, and then take it from there.
4: And on the other side of the relationship is the client. How should people go about determining whether they're hiring an ethical PR firm? What should they be looking for and what kinds of questions should they be asking?
0: I guess I'm a little bit biased, but I think, you know, the first thing that I would ask is, A, does your firm, your organization have a code of ethics, a code of professional standards? What are the values of your organization? Secondly, do your employees, the people who are gonna be working on my file, do they belong to a professional organization like CPRS? Which if you know what CPRS is, you know that by being a member, you are automatically signing on to that code of professional standards. So asking those basic questions about who's gonna be working on the file and, and what their standards and their values are. If you want to dig deeper, you can ask about current clients. One element of our code of professional standards is that you need to be transparent about the people who you work for. Now, of course, working around issues like NDAs and things like that is is always an issue, but um, certainly feel free to ask a public relations firm who who they've worked for in the past and who they work for now, and and they will disclose as much as they possibly can. And then, you know, if you even take it to the next level, uh, sit down and ask them, so tell me about an ethical dilemma you've faced in the past. How did you resolve that to them and create a scenario for the person to answer? And, you know, a lot of it comes down to as a client uh, hiring a, a firm, you know, what that relationship is with that person and how well you think you can trust them. And, and so asking those kinds of questions will start that process of trust building and relationship building.
4: When your team is discussing taking on a potential client, what happens if there's conflict in the values based judgment?
0: That's a really good question. The starting point is, is ethics. We would have in, internal discussions that we have. Internally, is this something that we as a company support? Does it align with our values as a company? And then does it align with our values as individuals? I view ethics as more of a professional framework. I view morals as the personal framework or the personal lens through which we make decisions. And I think the intersection between ethics and morals is what we might call values. And so when, you know, an ethical framework like the Code of Professional Standards at CPRS is is a socially imposed external constraint on what we do. It says, these are what we as an organization's society is, is important and is right and wrong about the way that you do your profession. When it comes to the decisions we make as individuals, we bring our, our own personal values into that decision-making process. Everyone's personal values will be slightly different. And so we have to have those conversations. And yeah, we've had some heated conversations about whether we should or shouldn't take on clients. And to get to another example, our firm has never worked with any companies that deal in tobacco products. It's a decision that we made as a firm. Uh, it's, in my opinion, a more of a moral decision uh, than an ethical one. Uh, because frankly, you can represent any side of any debate ethically, but whether you choose to do so or not is more of a moral decision. Uh, just as a lawyer is ethically bound to defend a client, regardless of their guilt or innocence, you know we can and should consider representing an interest of any side of uh, conversation. But where the morals come in is, do we want to do that? So using the tobacco example, we were approached by a firm that works in the vape space. So they deal in vaping products. And so it it was a conversation that we had as a group around, it's not tobacco, it's not cigarettes, uh, but is it something that, you know, frankly, at the end of the day, can we who are all uh, parents of children go home and tell our kids that we work for this particular company or this industry and ultimately we as a group decided that that went against our own personal and corporate values and so we turned down the work that was a values decision i think more than an ethical decision there are other examples where we have taken on clients and in those cases it then becomes up to the individual to decide if it meets their own personal values or not and so in those cases, we would typically, you know, if it's a controversial issue, but it's one where we know that we can work with the client in an, in an ethical manner and deliver what they're asking for, then there's ways to firewall that within the company so that those people who feel it doesn't align with their personal values don't have to be involved in it. But it, it really is coming back to that definition I provided earlier, the difference between ethics and morals, and it's a fuzzy world. Ethics provide you with a pretty strong external framework within which to work. But when it gets down to the decision-making, there's a lot of personal in there for sure.
4: You know, it's kind of incredible that there appears to be an ethical question baked into the very nature of PR. If the goal of public relations is to shape public opinion on any subject, can the practice of PR ever really be ethical?
0: Well, I'm going to say that the goal of public relations isn't to shape public opinion. I'm actually going to read from the definition that's on our website uh, at the Canadian Public Relations Society of what public relations is, so that people understand what it is that we, as professional practitioners, do. And, and that the definition of public relations that the CPRS operates within is the strategic management of relationships between an organization and its diverse publics through the use of communication to achieve mutual understanding realize organizational goals and serve the public interest. So that's a lot of, a lot of words and a lot of, you know, uh, some might say baffle gap, but let's boil it down. Our goal is to use communication to achieve mutual understanding and serve the public interest. Is part of that sometimes an advocacy position? Absolutely, I've already talked about what we do as a firm uh, in a lot of the work that we do, but there's nothing wrong with advocating for a position. You know, it's, it's a fundamental tenet of democracy that we have the ability to share perspectives, and share information, and then make informed decisions based on that information. And so advocating for my position is just as acceptable as you advocating for a different position based on your understanding of the facts and information and your opinions. Truth is at the core of everything that we do, or should be, as practitioners, and it's certainly at the core of everything that we try to do as a professional organization.
4: Let's get to a very difficult and current example. Canada is grappling with the truth portion of truth and reconciliation in regards to our Indigenous population. You recently commented publicly that the PR profession has the privilege to be a part of impacting things like ethics in this ongoing discussion. Canadians have a lot of opinions on a subject like reconciliation. So how do you determine the ethical path forward in communicating about reconciliation in Canada?
0: Well, you're absolutely right. People have a lot of opinions about reconciliation. My question to you would be, do they have all the information? Do they have all the facts? opinion doesn't stand in for information and facts and as i just said truth's really at the core of what we do as a a professional association Uh, cprs we uh, on a daily basis are fighting against misinformation and disinformation and really promoting the transparent sharing of facts and information so if we get back to that definition of public relations that i gave to you and the real core of that definition which is mutual understanding and serving the public interest So reconciliation, it doesn't necessarily mean agreement, right? Reconciliation does, to me, sound a lot like mutual understanding. So what we're doing as professionals who are working at that intersection of between organizations and their, what we call the publics or their stakeholders, their audiences, et cetera, is we're facilitating the conversation that needs to happen And the injection of information and fact into that conversation so that we can try and reach some form of mutual understanding, which in my world is really the definition of reconciliation. And so I think, you know, through fair, honest, fact-based conversations, that's how we get there. It doesn't matter what side you're on or what your beliefs are, what your opinions are, as long as you're open to having the conversation and trying to find some level of mutual understanding. I was in Winnipeg recently at our national conference and it was infused from top to bottom with discussions around big meaty concepts like truth and democracy and reconciliation. And in fact, we had Kukpi Roseanne Casimir from the Tekumlip Shekwepnip First Nation. You'll recognize as the person who first stood up to speak out on the issue of missing children at residential schools. She was there and brought us an incredible presentation to talk about what the experience has been for her and her people. The people in, in my profession and, and my organization are having these conversations. And and I think the real key tenet of, of those conversations is mutual respect, understanding, and a pursuit of honest, fact-based information.
4: Thank you so much, Cam. This conversation has been enlightening and super thought-provoking. We really appreciate you taking the time for this important discussion about ethics in PR. And we appreciate your candor. And candor is exactly what we need in our next episode. Everyone has an opinion on the media, but what does the media really think about public relations? We have a well-known journalist who's ready to dive in on the next episode of Deep Dive. Subscribe to Deep Dive for new episodes every month. For more information and social pages, visit coldwater-communications.ca.
1: You can subscribe to either of these series wherever you find your favorite podcasts. That's it for this week. I'm Cal Steiger, inviting you to listen in next Saturday.
0: Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.